Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series titled His Story, Our Story. Rather than a series of unconnected events, the Bible is one story, it's the story, and it's also our story. Thanks for joining us. My family was eating dinner together uh, during this week. And uh, I look over at my three-year-old who's in the high chair. And, and so this whole week I'm prepping to teach on the church, this large subject of the church. And we're eating dinner and I look over and my three-year-old, I kid you not, I couldn't make this up. The timing couldn't have been better. He starts doing this little rhyme that he learned somewhere about the church and the steeple and doors and everything. And, and I've never taught him that. I don't know where he picked that up. But I kid you not, on the week I'm teaching about church, I look over and he's doing this. And I said, hey, ma'am, we've get, do it one more time for me. I got to get you on video doing this. So I'm going to show you Daniel doing his best version of this old rhyme. The church, the steeple, the two doors. I open the doors, and there are all the people dancing. <laughs> if you didn't catch the end, he said, there's all the people dancing. He's a little, he's a little charismatic, got a little charismatic in him. So as we, as we get going, I, I thought maybe we could try it together too. So could you put your hands together, right? You interlace them and then turn them over. And I, I think you all know this. If you don't, you're going to know it really quickly. It says, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Yeah, right? Like, I, I mean, that's really cute. It's just not right. It's incorrect. What we've been taught, how many of you were taught that as kids? Yeah, you've known it for years and years and years. I certainly was. As I thought about church and what I thought church was as a kid, I grew up going to church. I went to Sunday school. I went to church for worship services. I went to church for vacation Bible school. I went to church for Wednesday night dinners. Do any of you remember those? Yeah, Wednesday night dinners. I went to church a lot. And from a very young age... I believe that the church was a place, rather than understanding, if you're following on your notes, that the church is God's people on mission with him to make disciples. That's what the church is. I don't think we communicate that the church is a building intentionally. I really don't. Even uh, in the dictionary, we come by it honestly, Webster defines church as a building set apart for public worship. And let me say this, I'm so thankful for these buildings. Unbelievably thankful. It's such a blessing to have buildings like this to gather and be trained and equipped and do it together. So I'm grateful for them, but the building is not the church. People are the church. And so if you're following in your notes, the word for church in both the Old Testament and New Testament always means a set-apart gathering of God's people. Different words are used. Sometimes it says company. Sometimes it says congregation. Sometimes it says assembly. Sometimes it says a people. But it always means a set-apart gathering of God's people. So my prayer this morning, and what I pray we'll learn together, is that we don't go to church we are the church and that we can grab a hold of this paradigm shift because if you're following in your notes, how we define church is crucial for how we understand God's story and our place in it. 
How we define it is crucial. It's the difference between believing we go to church and when we gather in this building, we are the church, and whether we believe we are the church and then live out our faith outside of this building. It makes all the difference in the world. So we've been in a series, like Chuck said, since the beginning of the year, where we've been learning together. I want us to read this together on the screen. This is what we have been learning together. Read this with me. It says, rather than a series of unconnected events, the Bible is one story, it's the story, and it's also our story. And to continue that story this morning, we're going to look at one verse found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles. 1 Peter is almost towards the back of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take a black Bible from the seat rack in front of you. And you can follow along in that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 can be found on page 981 of those black Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. That's a gift for you. But we're going to get to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 in just a couple of minutes. I think it's going to benefit you to have that open, to jot some notes down or circle some things that stand out to you. And we could start there. We, we could go right to 1 Peter and start there. But I want to go back to Genesis, to the first book in the Bible, to creation, where this series started. Because I believe when we get to 1 Peter, some light bulbs will be going off and connections will be made. So we began this series in Genesis chapter 1 and creation. It's where it all began. God created the world and everything in it. He created humans, and we're told that we are created in his image. And the phrase that we said that first week is that we were made by God, for God, to do all of life with God. We were created to be his representatives and image bearers on earth. You may just want to jot this down on your notes too. I didn't put it in there. This has always been God's plan to partner with people. It's always been his plan. And after the fall in Genesis 3 and the introduction of sin into the world, God continued his plan of partnering with people. In Genesis 12, God made an unconditional, unbreakable covenant with a man named Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, it says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. These are words God spoke to Abraham. And he told Abraham, you'll be the father of a people who will be a blessing to all nations. And that people, God chose as his own people, have several names that we might be familiar with. One of them is Jews, one is Hebrews, and one is Israel. For our purposes today, we're going to use the name Israel to refer to the group of people that God chose to partner with and work through. If you're following in your notes, God chose a people, Israel, and set them apart to be his image bearers and representatives. He chose them. He chose a people not only to receive his blessings, but also to pour those blessings out to others. Israel was called to be the partner through which God would be made known to the entire world. And they started as just Abraham's family, just a, a few people, and then they moved around quite a bit until they found themselves in slavery in Egypt. And after they were freed from slavery, 
and the Red Sea was parted and they walked through the Red Sea. We've talked about that story in this series. They gathered for the first time as God set apart people with the express intent of worshiping him. It was the first church. Imagine the picture. Several million people gathered at the base of Mount Sinai and God tells Moses to say this to his gathered people. Would you read this with me in the first gray box in your notes? It says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God was saying, I chose you. I treasure you, and out of your nation will come many nations set apart as the gathered people of God. And what we've seen throughout this series, you've seen the graphic on on the screen of the highs and the lows in slavery and in exile. And what we see throughout this series is that Israel failed to keep their part of the covenant. They failed. And in the prophets, as we read the prophets, it's all about God promising to gather his people again and to pour out his spirit on them so they might fulfill this calling. That's what we see in the prophets. And then last week, as Jeff taught on the incarnation, Jeff, uh, Jeff, Jeff came to this earth. Jesus came to this earth. <laughs> Jeff came in a body too. But Jesus came to this earth in a body He brought good news and he healed people to give us a glimpse of what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom started breaking in. He suffered and he died on a cross to reverse sin's curse and to break the power of sin and evil. And three days later, he was bodily resurrected from the dead, defeating sin and death. Now, the kingdom of God, through Jesus, is available for everybody to live in. The kingdom is available for everybody to live in now and forever. This is what the Gospels are about. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the Gospels also give us one more point that I think is often overlooked, and I've just begun to learn about this in the past few years, and it's been so important in helping me understand the story. If you're following in your notes, in the Gospels, Jesus completes and fulfills Israel's story and mission. He completes and fulfills Israel's story and mission. Where Israel failed in temptation and obedience, Jesus succeeded. Jesus kept the covenant that Israel could never fulfill, and he established a new covenant. Jesus fulfilled Israel's mission to be a light to the world. Remember, God's plan is always to partner with people. So even though Jesus accomplished this during his time on earth, he chose 12 people and he trained them. So in your notes, Jesus completes and fulfills Israel's story and mission and instructed his disciples to continue living the mission. They were to continue God's plan from the very beginning that a set-apart people were to be a light for all nations. And when I use the word nations this morning, I mean starting in Springfield. To the world. These 12 were to invite others to be a part of God's set-apart gathering of people. It's no coincidence 
that the last thing Jesus said to his disciples and after he rose from the dead and before he ascended into heaven is that you have a mission. It's a co-mission. I will be with you, but you are to continue living the story and living the mission. In Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, we read this. Would you read this with me? This is our mission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He instructed his disciples to continue living the continued story and the continued mission. But he didn't expect them to do that alone. And he didn't expect them to do it in their own power or with their own clever ideas or their good plans or their five-year strategies, all of which are good things. As we make our way into the book of Acts, the promised Holy Spirit is given to followers of Jesus. If you're following in your notes, the book of Acts contains stories of the early church empowered by the Holy Spirit, continuing the kingdom mission of Jesus. That's what the book of Acts is. It's the story of Jesus' work on earth through his set-about partners as they're energized and directed by the Holy Spirit. It's the continuing story and mission. God always chooses people to partner with him and participate in his work. He chose Abraham. He chose Israel. He chose Jesus' disciples. He chose the early church. And then he chose the churches planted by the Apostle Paul on his journeys through the Roman Empire. Their stories are told throughout the New Testament. If you're following in your notes, Romans to Jude are letters instructing the church in their identity and how to live as God's set-apart gathered people. And just for extra credit, that's exactly what Revelation is about too. Revelation is about how to live as God's people right now. But I didn't include it because I don't want to steal Steve's thunder next week. That's the New Testament. So I want to spend the remainder of our time together looking at one verse found in those letters. Many have said this passage in the New Testament most explicitly associates the Old Testament terms with Israel for the New Testament church. And what this reveals to us is that the church is not God's alternative to a failed plan A. The church is what Israel was always promised it would become. So please read this with me. In the second gray box in your notes, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It reads, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In this passage, what Peter does is he gives four descriptions of the church, God's people, followed by a declaration of purpose. These descriptions are going to sound familiar because they're Old Testament descriptions of Israel now applied to the church of Jesus Christ. First one, Peter says the church is a chosen people. 
a chosen people. He uses terminology that was commonly used in reference to Israel in the Old Testament, particularly Deuteronomy 7, 6, which I listed in your notes. And I'll say it again, in the same way Israel was called to be God's chosen people and to be representatives for him, the church is now God's chosen people. And we are called to partner with him. But the the big idea that I want us to notice about being a chosen people is that being chosen is not because we're better than others. It's not that we're better than others. What we need to remember is that even responding to following Jesus is a gift given by God. Faith is a gift. And remembering we're chosen reminds us that we aren't any better than anybody else. And we have no authority to look down on anybody else who isn't yet part of God's set-apart gathering of people. It was pride that led Israel to not be the vessel through which all nations would be blessed. They just thought they were better than everybody. And that's such an easy trap to fall into. If you're following in your notes, being a chosen people leads to humility and gratefulness. It leads to humility and gratefulness, and those are the postures we need to embody to the world. We're a chosen people. Peter continues with the description of the church as a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. And in the Old Testament, one of the unique roles of the priest was to have an intimate relationship with God. In fact, the high priest was the only person who could enter the presence of God, and at that, only one time a year. No other person could do that. Access to God was limited. And so if you're following in your notes, as a royal priesthood, we have access to God. Anytime, any place. By following Jesus, people become adopted members of the family of King Jesus. And we have access to the Father. When I think about that, the picture that comes to mind is, is my kids. They have access to me. You know, they, they say, Dad, Dad, or they text me or they call me and I'm going to do anything I can to stop what I'm doing and give them access to me. Except there are some moments where I say, just a minute, just a minute, I'll get to you in just a minute. You need to wait for me to finish talking. Or last night, um, we, we have this thing where my nine-year-old and I read every night before bed and I just had to say last night, hey, buddy, we've got to wait till this Purdue game's over. Um, <laughs> This is too good. I can't do it right now. And what I thought is God never says that to us. He never says, hey, wait, wait. I got to see if this number one's going to be out of the tournament. I don't need to finish a conversation. You have access to me anytime. You can bring your cares to me. You can talk to me. I'm available anytime. We have access to God. But not only did priests have access to God, they would pray on behalf of people for the forgiveness of their sins. They were mediators between God and people. The the Latin word for priest is actually pontifex, which means bridge builder. I, I like that. As a church, we're a royal priesthood who have access to God anytime, anyplace, and if you're following on your notes, and we serve as bridge builders. We serve as bridge builders. We aren't mediators between God and people. 
Jesus accomplished that. But as royal priests, we serve the king to be bridge builders to expand the kingdom. We're bridge builders. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Peter then says the church is a holy nation. A holy nation. Holy means set apart. And the word for nation translates ethnos, which means people as in ethnic group. We're a completely new group of people. And as a people belonging to a holy God and members of his royal family, we're to reflect his character to the surrounding nations. If you're following in your notes, as a holy nation, we live in a distinct set-apart way. We live in a distinct set-apart way. So the question we have to ask ourselves, and then I need to ask myself, is are we, am I, living in such a way that is distinct from the world around us? Because how we live, how we use our bodies, as Jeff said, how we use our mouths, how we use our eyes, how we spend our money, and how we spend our time should look different than the world around us. John Ortberg is a pastor in California. He has a terrific new book out. He says in that book that a disciple is someone whose ultimate goal is to live their life the way Jesus would live if he were me. I'm going to say that one more time. The ultimate goal is to live their life the way Jesus would live if he were me. And the reason Ortberg says that is because he says discipleship is apprenticing Jesus. It's apprenticing the master. It's not just learning about him, but it's doing the things he did and doing them the way he did them. We begin to live distinct, set-apart lives as we apprentice Jesus and we spend time with him to learn from him how to be like him. We live as a holy nation, a set-apart people. And then the fourth and final description of the church is God's special possession. Peter was writing to a group of people who were being persecuted for their faith. Um, they were being persecuted by the Romans. They were mocked, abused, and rejected. And I wonder what it did for them to be reminded that they were God's special possession. I mean, I wonder if it was like water in a desert to be reminded that their lives still had value and who they were. If you're following in your notes, as God's special possession, we need to remember our identity. We need to remember our identity and where our value comes from, that we are God's special possession. And I'm just wondering if somebody in the room this morning, you just need to hear you are treasured and valued and you are God's special possession. Your value comes from him. I want you to think about something for a minute, right? The value of something lies in the fact that someone has possessed it. I mean, that's where value comes from. A very ordinary thing, think this through, a very ordinary thing acquires new value if it's been possessed by some famous person. So after college, I lived in, in Washington, D.C., I love the Smithsonian's. Anytime anybody came to visit, I would take them to the Smithsonian's. One of them is the American History Museum. In the American History Museum, you can see some really cool stuff. Ruby red slippers that Dorothy wore in The Wizard of Oz. You can see Fonz's leather jacket from Happy Days. Dating myself with that one. You can see George Washington's uniform. 
You could see dresses worn by the first ladies of the United States, and you can see Julia Child's kitchen. Very ordinary things, right? Shoes, jacket, uniform, dresses, a kitchen. They are only of value because they were possessed by some great person. It's the only reason they're in the museum. My jacket's not in there. How much more valuable are followers of Jesus, members of God-set-apart, gathered people with unique gifts and talents and passions that are all needed to expand the kingdom? We need to continually remember our identity and where our value comes from. We need to remember who we are. And friends, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, set apart for a purpose. So would you read the second gray box one more time with me as we begin to internalize who we are and what our purpose is? Read it with me. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The, The reason this renewed church exists is to accomplish the same purpose that God's first church existed. It's to be a set-apart people to proclaim his excellencies to the world. The church exists to shine the light of Jesus into a dark world. We exist to make Jesus known with our words and actions. It's what each of us is here for. We've said this before in services sometimes. This is the reason God didn't kill you the minute he saved you. Because if you're following in your notes, we are God's partners to expand the kingdom. We are God's partners to expand the kingdom. God's plan has always been and always will be the church, his people. So as we close, I want to make three connection points for us. Now that we know the church is not a building, it's a people, so what? So what? Well, first, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're following in your notes, know this. You are invited to be part of the set-apart, gathered people of God. You are invited. I want you to know that you were made by God, for God, to do all of life with God. So I want to invite you this morning, and bigger than Brian inviting you this morning, God is inviting you this morning to start following Jesus to a newness of life. And yes, that includes the forgiveness of sin, but it's so much more than that. Following Jesus is not just about getting into heaven. I've heard it's about heaven getting into us. There's a better way to live and there's a better story to live and I want to invite you into that story this morning. You're invited. You're invited. If you're following in your notes, the the second connection point for us is to choose a local gathering to be part of and commit. Choose a local gathering to be part of and commit. 
Belonging to a local body of believers is so important. But listen, there's no verse in the Bible that says join a local church. I can't take you to one. But it's kind of like an involuntary thing. It's like your heart beating or breathing. No one is sitting here saying heartbeat. Belonging to a local gathering of believers is so understood by the writers of the New Testament, they don't even feel like they need to say it. And if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to be part of our church, our local gathering that meets in this building. But if it's not Cherry Hills, there's some other Christ-centered, Bible-based gatherings of people in our city. Commit to one of them. Commit to be part of a local gathering. Charles Spurgeon, a pastor who lived in the 1800s, said this. I, I love this quote. He says, Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it to be perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church until I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I joined I'm not trying to set Cherry Hills up as a place that is not going to disappoint you. In fact, we will, and if we haven't yet, just give it a bit more time. <laughs> but we are a family, a set-apart people that gather. And just like family, everybody has disagreements, everybody has different opinions, but because we're a family, we can work on things. And we can talk about them and have honest conversations full of grace and truth. Families aren't perfect and families are messy. And that's true for God's gathered people. And what I want to say is in spite of that, I still challenge you to choose a local gathering to be part of and commit to it. Commit to doing life together with others. And the third connection point that I want to bring us home on, if you're following your notes, is to live on mission it's to live on mission, right? We, we gather here, we gather here at different times to be formed into the likeness of Jesus, and then we scatter to live out our faith, right? We, we gather here to slow down long enough to be reminded of who God is, what Jesus did for us, who we are, the story we're part of. We gather to respond in song and prayer to God's greatness and goodness. We gather to be trained and equipped in God's word, and we gather to practice the over 51 and others found in the Bible. We greet one another. We bear one another's burdens. We comfort one another. We encourage one another. We love one another. We gather for a purpose. But we're scattered way more than we're gathered. And we need to live with an awareness that we are image bearers and representatives of Jesus everywhere we go. In our homes, in the workplace, at the gym, at restaurants, in our schools, on college campuses, on the sports fields, the ministries we serve with locally. We are God's plan to invite more people to follow him. We are his plan. I said this a few minutes ago. A disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus is someone whose ultimate goal is to live their life the way Jesus would live if he were me. So church, people of God, 
as we leave here today, can we begin to live with a conscious awareness that we represent Jesus everywhere we go. We don't go to church, we are the church. And that means we keep our eyes and our ears open to find out where God is working. We don't have to come up with grandiose plans on our own. We just look and listen for where God is already at work and then we join him to expand the kingdom. God's plan always has been and always will be to partner with people to expand his kingdom. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue the kingdom mission of Jesus. It's an unbelievable invitation, but it's an unbelievable challenge. But God wouldn't have asked us to do it if he didn't think we were up to the task. He wants to partner with us to expand the kingdom. So as we leave here today with a conscious awareness of who we are and the role we've been given to play in the kingdom, I believe it can change the way we live. It gives us new eyes to see. Such a privilege to be God's representative right here, right now. So as I thought about how we'd end this today, I, I thought I could just, I could pray over everybody and we could be sent out. But I think the Lord brought it across the ticker of my mind that um, we could pray together. We could read a prayer together about being filled with the Holy Spirit to equip us to live this out and then respond in a song and leave with a song on our lips that reminds us of this great mission we've been given. So I'm gonna invite you to stand. We're going to read this prayer together. Let's read this, church. Let's read it, read it full voice. This is what we long for. This is what we want. Almighty God, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to move us to understanding, to help us believe the gospel, to give us strength and wisdom to live by it. May the boldness of your spirit transform us. May the gentleness of your spirit lead us. May the gifts of your spirit equip us to serve and worship you now and always. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.